We are the paradoxical ape. Bipedal, naked, large-brained. Long the master of fire, tools, and language, but still trying to understand ourselves. Aware that death is inevitable, yet filled with optimism. We grow up slowly. We hand down knowledge. We empathize and deceive. We shape the future from our shared understanding of the past. Carta brings together experts from diverse disciplines to exchange insights on who we are and how we got here. An exploration made possible by the generosity of humans like you. Thanks very much, and thanks all of you for coming. It's uh, wonderful to be here and talk to such an um, incredible audience. Um, I thought I'd start off by um, posing a question that I think is particularly relevant to all of us thinking about uh, language evolution, and that's what's so special about language. Um, in a sense, the goal of uh, evolutionary linguistics is to try and explain the origins of the special properties of language. Um, and there are two that I want to focus on today. In fact, uh, Roger started with one of them. So first off, I want to uh, highlight structure. Um, so language has a highly unusual and rich systematic structure in the way it's put together. So when I say uh, the phrase two boots, um, you're able to relate the acoustic waveform that hits your ears um, to this rather cute picture of my son's shoes on this slide. Now, how are you able to do that? You're able to do that because of the special structure that language has. The signals that we produce are constructed of sequences of these meaningless elements. Um, we call them phonemes. Um, so these uh, different phonemes are put together in different, different ways, reorganized in different ways to make up the sounds of our language in sequences. Um, but furthermore, these meaningless elements are themselves put together to make morphemes, the meaning-carrying elements of language. And these are put together to construct meaningful wholes. So you understand what two boots means because you understand these ways in which uh, language recombines elements. Um, and it's because of this recombination, because we can endlessly recombine elements at these two different levels that we are able to talk about anything. 
So we're able to constantly be producing completely new utterances with the happy expectation that everyone can understand us. And this is an incredible feat, and uh, remarkably it seems to be unique to our species. Okay, so that was one of the uh, special features of language structure. So next up, the other one I want to talk about is learning. So the we are able to use language because we have learned how, both how to produce the signals in our language and we've also learned, perhaps even more remarkably, what the signals in our language mean. So we're able to use language meaningfully because we've observed language being used around us as we, as we grow up. Um, again, this, this combination of learning the signals and learning the meaning seems to be unique in nature. Um, what I'm particularly interested in is that the fact that this is a very particular kind of learning. Um, when we learn language, we're learning from the product of other people who have gone through the same learning process. Uh, so we, we learn from the observation of the output of other learners. So this is something that I call iterated learning. And it's a particular um, and, and relatively unusual process in nature. So what iterated learning means is that the, the language I, I speak, I learned um, by observing language being produced by my parents, and the language I produce is going on to affect the language um, that my son and daughter are acquiring. And so what this means is that we have this um, process of cultural transmission of language through this mapping from um, external uh, production of uh, language and an internal, some internal representation of language. And what this means is that languages evolve. So this is a kind of cultural evolution. So languages, language itself is a, uh, an evolutionary system in its own right. And what I want to suggest today that these two features, structure and iterated learning, are related to each other. Um, that, and in fact, what I want to claim is that Language structure is the inevitable consequence of the fact that language is a culturally evolving system. So I want to uh, try and uh, pose and answer this question um, affirmatively, that uh, cultural evolution can explain why language has the structure that it does. So how on earth could we go about answering this question? So this is one of the challenges of doing evolutionary linguistics, is how on earth do you study it scientifically? Well, there are lots of ways, and you're going to hear about a lot of them today. Um, but one of the ways that um, we pioneered in my lab in Edinburgh was to try and recreate language evolution, the cultural evolution of language, in the experiment lab. So I'm going to show you how we do that. I'm going to give you two examples of two experiments that we've done that will give you a flavor of the way in which we can study uh, cultural evolution of language in the lab. So generally, how do we do this? So what we did is we brought together two, two kind of standard experimental techniques from two different areas. Um, one was uh, a paradigm from psycholinguistics called artificial language learning, where we get participants to, into the lab and teach them miniature languages and then test them. And another technique um, from um, experimental anthropology, I guess you'd call it, um, called a transmission chain paradigm. And this is a way people study... Um, the process of cultural evolution in various different domains. So we're just plugging those two together. So I'll talk you through in, in general how it works, and then I'll give you the um, two specific examples. So first off, we bring a participant into the lab, and we ask them to learn a miniature language. 
And so this is a, like a very, very uh, small miniature artificial language that we've created. So we might have them in the lab for an hour maximum. And then we test them. So we get them to produce uh, utterances in this um, uh, miniature language. So at this stage, this is a standard paradigm, artificial language learning paradigm. But the twist we put on it is that we use the output of that participant when we test them to form the language that the next participant in the lab is going to learn from. And then we take the output of that second participant and use that to form the input training data for the third participant in the lab, and so on. So we create a chain of transmission of this miniature language and watch how it evolves as it passes from participant to participant in our experiments. What we typically do is we start with a language in scare quotes that is random and unstructured and doesn't have these structural properties that we're interested in. And then we want to see if those structural properties emerge through this process of transmission over these artificial generations that we create in, in the lab experiments. Okay, so that's the general structure of these, these, this experimental approach. And I'm going to give you two examples. So here's the first example, and this is uh, joint work with Hannah Cornish and Kenny Smith, pictured there. Um, and this was, this was our first experiment, the first experiment we did in our lab. Um, and so this is, as you can see, 2008. This is a relatively recent um, approach that we've been taking here. And what we wanted to do is look for this emergence of compositional structure. So compositional structure is the idea that um, you can put words together to make meanings. So the meaning of a whole expression is made up of the meanings of parts of that expression. So we wanted to see if we could get that to emerge in, uh, in these lab experiments. Okay, so uh, what participants did, so we have this kind of experimental chain of participants, and what the participants were asked to do was learn a miniature language, and the language was made up of these weird meanings, which were just colored shapes that were moving in different ways, and we had three colors, um, three shapes, and three different types of movement. So three times three times three, that makes 27 different possible meanings in this language. So... When I say miniature language, I really mean miniature. Okay, and these uh, pictures, these um, meanings were paired with strings of syllables. And these were just made up at random by the computer. Okay, so this is completely unstructured, arbitrary language. Every single meaning was given a different label. And each uh, participant was trained on uh, half of the language. Um, but then was tested on all of the meanings. So they were, they were trained on half of, all of the, half of the meanings, but then were asked to produce um, uh, strings of syllables for all of the meanings when we tested them. And then their output then formed the input to the next participant in the lab. And again, we took a random half of the output of the first participant to train the second one, and then test the second one, and take another random half of their language to train the third participant, and so on down the chain. Okay? So what happens? Well, what we find is that the people are absolutely terrible at this task. So, um, so the, this graph shows uh, error, um, and it's a rather forgiving measure of error. It just said uh, an error of one meant would mean that you got not a single character, not a single letter right in the target word. An error of zero means you get everything right. So and what you see here is four different runs of the experiment, 
and each uh, point on this graph is a different participant. Okay, so the first participants in the lab had a really terrible time. In fact, nobody got a single word exactly right. So it's essentially absolutely awful. By the end, however, the uh, participants in the in the later generations in these chains, some of them were getting everything exactly right, including the meanings that they weren't trained on. So they were successfully guessing the correct label for meanings that we didn't even test the, uh, train them on. Okay, so how on earth is that happening? Well, I'll show you what the languages look like as they evolve. So here's, here's a, an initial random language. So, for example, in this um, table, the word mini-key is the word for a blue square that's moving horizontally. Um, now, bear in mind, if you're trained on half of this language, imagine if I blanked out half of these words, and then I asked you to reconstruct the missing words, that you'd have no hope. You couldn't possibly get it right, okay, because this is random. So if you didn't know that that word was mini-key, there's no way you could guess it. So that's why they're doing so badly. And this is what it, that same language looks like uh, 10 generations later. Right. So now you see how the participants are doing this, right? So now if I blanked off half of those words, you'd be able to successfully guess what the missing words were. For example, the word poi now refers to all spiraling objects. So... This language has evolved to become more easy to learn, but it's evolved in a very, very kind of slightly disappointing way from our point of view. Uh, so it's, it's evolved just by jettisoning words um, in a particular way so that these words refer to, to particular sort of sections of the set of meanings. So why was this happening? In fact, in some versions of the experiment, we'd go down to a single word for all, the, all things. <laughs> so clearly we need something else. Um, in this experiment. So we need some kind of pressure to be expressive as well as learnable for the language. Um, I can't go into the details, so I don't have time, but what we essentially did was we added in a, a filter on the output of each participant. Um, so we threw out items that were ambiguous before we passed it on to the next participant. And none of the participants could be aware that we were doing this manipulation. So, this is a, so we ran the whole experiment again with this extra step, hidden step, and we got um, completely different results. So here's again the initial, and another initial language, again completely random. And now, uh, and now, 10 generations later, it looks quite different. Now what I've done here is I've added in hyphens to make it easier for you to see, but the participants don't get to see these hyphens, right? And what you see here is that um, different parts of the uh, uh, signals correspond to different parts of the meanings. So, for example, this N uh, prefix means uh, the black things. The R prefix means red things. Um, a plo suffix means something that's bouncing, and so on. So this is the compositionality we were looking for, and it emerged out of this process of cultural transmission. So structure seems to emerge spontaneously from this process of cultural evolution. Now, there's a couple of obvious um, worries that you might have. So firstly, perhaps the participants in our experiment are kind of deliberately thinking, well, this, this language is rubbish. Um, here's how we can fix it up. We'll add some structure. Well, we don't think that's what's happening because, uh, bear in mind, these two different runs of the experiment got very different languages out, but the participants couldn't know which, which condition they were in. Another possible objection is, well, okay, but they already speak a language. In fact, all of our participants spoke English. 
So it's not surprising that they gradually um, change this system to, to be one that looks more like a language. Well, that's a, a valid worry. So we've recreated the, all of this experiment in computer simulation and where we can know that our um, com computational participants don't have a pre-existing language and we get the same results. Okay, so that's my first example. But a second example... Um, we wanted to move away from this um, starting point with these random strings, because that seems a bit weird. Where did they come from? And instead, we start from a, a potentially much more natural starting point, um, one of um, uh, gestural um, pantomime. And we wanted to see if we could evolve structured, something looked like a structured sign language, miniature structured sign language, out of an initial state that was iconic pantomime. And this is joint work with Kenny Smith, Katya Abramova, and Erica Cartmill. So how, here's how the experiment works. So in this version of the experiment, the meanings now are um, videos of a bouncing ball. So here's one. So that's, that's the things that have to be conveyed. And the signals are manual gestures made to a video camera. Um, so something like this. Um, and the initial language in this experiment was improvised one-off pantomimes that we got people into the lab and just said, OK, can you give a pantomime that corresponds to this video? Uh, participants were trained on 12 out of the 16 videos, um, but asked to produce gestures for all 16. And then the same process of this sort of diffusion chain, uh, transmission chain, um, um, was applied. So we'd see how the gestures evolved over generations. I'll just show you the full set of meanings. It's a little bit alarming when you see it. Uh, so these are all the different videos um, tiled together. And what you can see here is there's uh, different paths in which the ball moves along. So flat, sloping, in an S shape or in a circle. And there are different manners. So the ball might be bouncing or rolling or spinning or giving this nightmarish jittering <laughs> motion. So that's the set of meanings they have to convey. And this is what the initial uh, pantomimes looked like for all the participants we got in just to do one-off uh, gesture for these. Um, and what you see here is there's a huge range of different strategies that people use to um, produce these meanings. There's an enormous diversity in, in strategies here. So what we were interested in... Yeah, some of them more successful than others. Um, <laughs> What we were interested in is how do these strategies evolve down generations. So here's our first participant who saw 12 of these um, and then produced uh, a gesture for each of them. Um, now, it looks more systematic, but that's because it's one person, so they, they all look a little bit more similar. In fact, there's still a lot of diversity here. If you look at the hand shape to use to convey uh, the ball and so on, there's still a lot of diversity. Um, much later in the same chain, we have this participant. Now um, it's looking much more uh, systematic. There's, um, there's, if you look at Handshape, for example, it's now um, very similar across all the different videos. And there's particular kinds of systematicity we were interested in. So here's, here's an example from another chain, which I particularly like. Um, and have a look at what she's doing here to convey the ball moving. So she signals the ball and then says the manner and then the path. So she separated out two aspects of this meaning compositionally into two different parts. And indeed, another interesting thing that she does here, she self-corrects. So she says, oh, no, I got it wrong. And watch again. She'll do it again. Um, 
And this indicates that at this point in this evolution of the language, he's seeing that there's a right and wrong answer. It's become grammatical. Okay, so just to summarize these, and then I'll be done. Um, So over time, the gestures in this language become less pantomimic and more conventional. Um, And we can actually measure this. Um, We can show that systematic structure emerges over generations in this experiment. And interestingly, this separation of manner and path mirrors what we can see in real emerging sign languages. So this is um, work by Annie Senghas and colleagues looking at how in Nicaraguan sign language and emerging sign language, we get this separation of manner and path emerging over generations, over cohorts. So just final conclusions. Um, I want to argue that language is an evolutionary system in its own right. And languages, because of this, languages adapt and they adapt to pass more easily from learner to learner. And linguistic s- structure is the solution that cultural evolution finds to the problem of being learnable. So it's an inevitable consequence of the way language is transmitted. And we can, and indeed we should, study this process in the experiment lab. Thank you very much. <laughs>